Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Froke, and I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski. And today we have Danilo Caprick. He's not only one of the most tactical sellers we've had on the podcast, he is probably the most well-dressed seller I've seen in my life. And holy cow, usually we got all the prospecting tactics down, but he showed us some new ones. Nick, why should people listen? If you're a salesperson that has been coached again and again and again, you got to get to pain. You got to get to problems right away on your discovery call. You might enjoy Danilo's perspective on the way that he structures his discovery calls. I found it to be a bit different. And actually, I'm going to start incorporating it for the way that I run my 30 MPC sponsorship disco calls. So it helped me a lot. It might help you. I think you'll enjoy the listen. But wait, if you like what you heard here, Danilo is probably one of the few people who could tell us something new about tearing apart an account and developing a POV in discovery. And so he actually screen shared during the prep how he reaches an account and then how he turns that into a point of view in a discovery call. And you can steal his entire process in the show notes with screenshots. So go check out that link, folks. And a three, a two, a one, let's ride. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you want to save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent. It'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with Demandbase, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free. All right, Danilo, welcome to the show. We start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three. Sure, no problem, Nick. So number one is to research your prospect as much as you research the actual company. So at a minimum, sellers should be 
Google News Searching and Google Searching the first and last name of their prospect. Number two, they should be looking for a website called listennotes.com where they can actually type in the name of anybody and find a list of podcasts that they've appeared on. Number three is look for their social media channels. You'll be super surprised to understand who has Twitter, who's on IG, and what you can find from scanning those channels. And then last but not least, one of my favorites, if you're prospecting to anyone that has a PhD, Google search their name, the university they went to, and the word dissertation. If you can show up to a call or even include in a cold email snippets about their research paper, it's going to blow their mind and you're going to instantly stand out from anybody else prospecting them. I love it. What's number two? Number two is to ditch the disco questions and use a hypothesis instead. I want you guys to think about a scenario when you go shopping, right? If you've ever walked into a shoe store, any clothing store, we know what the sales associate says 99% of the time. They usually say, is there anything special we can help you find today? And without thinking or giving it a second guess, we immediately say, nope, just looking. The same thing happens in disco calls. If we show up with these same canned disco questions, it's going to turn buyers off and they're going to immediately know that this is just a normal standard sales call. So instead, we want to show up with a hypothesis, ditch the questions, provide a new experience for our customer and instantly stand out from the crowd. Very nice. Round us out. What's number three? Number three is one of my favorites. It's to really challenge your prospects on why they're a good fit in the first place. If you've ever had a person in sales, whether it's a car salesman, a supplement salesman, ever tell you, hey, I actually don't think you're a good fit for this, or maybe you want to go to the person down the street that's selling this, you probably trust them a lot more because you realize they're not just trying to sell you. So if you can respectfully push back on your prospect and say things like, hey, how did you arrive to the conclusion that we're a good fit? Or what makes you so confident that we can solve your problem? It's going to force them to convince you. And again, help you stand out from 99% of sellers in the field who are just trying to persuade others why they should buy their product. And folks, Danilo actually showed us this during the prep call where he has all of these screenshots of how he researches and then how he turns those into POVs on a discovery call. So go check that thing out in the show notes. We're going to give it away for free afterwards. All right. But Danilo, let's start with that first piece. And specifically, I want to zoom in on this tool that lets you look at every podcast appearance that someone's ever been on. So let's say that I'm trying to prospect into the CMO of Apple. And I find that the CMO of Apple has been on five different podcasts. What are you doing when you see that? Are you just skimming the show notes? Are you listening to the episodes? How do I balance the law of diminishing returns in doing my research here? Well, first off is you want to understand, is this one of your must-win prospects? If this is a top five, top 10 prospect or a must-win, I'll listen to the whole interview. If it's something that's less important, I'm probably just going to skim around and try to look at the notes. So that's the first thing there is you want to base your time investment in terms of research for whether it's listennotes.com or anything else based on how important the prospect is to you and your attainment of your goals, right? That's number one. But in terms of how you use that information, then that really applies to just what you've done in the past and kind of what the context has been. So a real example I can give you is there was a CEO I was trying to prospect of a healthcare company. And I found a podcast that he was on from listennotes.com. And so what I did was I listened and I found out his personal story on why he decided to get into the healthcare business. And it had to do with something in his childhood. So using that, I crafted a personalized video, actually, where I used some of the things I learned in the podcast and actually included that in the video. And so that's going to help me, again, stand out from 99% of other people who just wouldn't go that extra mile to do that. So that's how I'd approach you know, the time investment, but also how do you use those insights to actually form your outreach or use them in a sales context? Yeah, one of the things that I've done with like podcasts, 
prep when I'm preparing for a meeting or prospecting is if I'm just prospecting, I'm probably not going to sit and listen to five hours worth of podcast interviews to find that one nugget that I'm going to use in my prospecting email or cold call. And so instead, what I do when I'm prospecting is I will listen in the episodes. And what I mean by that is I'll open up an episode, I'll go like halfway through and I'll listen for two, three, four minutes. And usually if I listen for four minutes to a podcast, I can find a nugget that is related to the problem that my product solves. And I'll use that to inform my prospecting messaging. And then if I end up booking a meeting, that is when I say, okay, I'm going to spend a little bit more time listening to this episode, maybe the full thing. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about how that then informs that first meeting that you have with that prospect. Because one of the things you were talking about in one of your actionable tips was like, hey, I don't show up and run the discovery call like normal. I show up with a point of view. I show up with a hypothesis. Can you talk to me about like what that should look and sound like? Absolutely. So I think there's two things I look for. Number one is when I'm doing that research, if there's anything that's very personal, right? For example, if it's a story from childhood, how they got into business, a story from school, whatever it might be, I'm going to use that in the first two minutes of the call. Because one of my things is I hate it when we show up to calls talking about the weather, like 99% of the people. It's not me. I don't like that. What I like to do instead is come up with a very, very personal or very unique thing that can only be said about them that most people just ignore or don't know. So I'll look for those personal pieces of rapport and I will start the conversation with that. For example, I was scanning down someone's LinkedIn profile and I actually saw a link that they included that led me to a goat farm that they actually owned. And I was like, whoa, when does this happen, right? Plus my family is from Bosnia. We actually have about 30 goats. So I had a reason to talk to him about this for the first three minutes, right? And the logic there is that if we can show up to the call, shed the spotlight on them and let them talk about themselves for a good minute, it's going to lower their guard. It's going to have them in a favorable uh, position, so to speak, like they're going to be in a good mood. And that's going to increase the likelihood that they're more willing to share information. If we're letting them talk about themselves and something unique to them at the beginning, they're going to be more likely to actually share more information about their business later on in the meat of the call. So that's the, the personal side of things. But then, of course, I'm looking for the big meaty goal that they're going after, right? What's the challenge that I heard in the podcast? What's the actual outcome they're trying to produce, right? And then from there, I'll say, hey, you know, I was listening to this or I heard this. Looks like you guys are trying to aim for X, Y, Z outcome. How's that going so far? What's hard about that, right? And just dig in accordingly. So I think that's the way I tend to use the insights from that research, rather. So I love it. We call it the 90-second rule, which is a lot of folks are going to tune out in the first five minutes of a sales call. And you come to the sales call super, super well prepared, but oftentimes reps won't bring forward that research until the five minute mark of the call where you've already demonstrated all of these patterns that make you look like every other salesperson in the world, like talking about the weather. So by doing that in the first 90 seconds or in the first two minutes, you get someone to sit up because you're talking about goats and they're the only person in the world who could possibly know anything about goats other than Nick, who drinks his milk directly from goats. And so, Danilo, I want to differentiate between the two types of research that you're referencing. The first type of research that you're referencing is just stuff that's personable. My guess is Databricks doesn't solve any problems related to goats, but it's a way to get someone to show that they've done their research. Could you give an example of something you would see either at the person or company level? and how you would turn that into a hypothesis at the discovery level. 
So after the personal rapport, right? So after we talked about goats for five minutes, I usually say something like, hey, so there's two ways we can go about today's call. Number one, believe it or not, but I've done a lot of research about your company and I've actually come up with a hypothesis about the number one thing that I think you're trying to do in the next 12 months. So if you're open to it, you can let me present that research and maybe you can tell us how accurate or inaccurate we are with this hypothesis. Or if none of that sounds interesting to you, you can just open up and tell us why you took the call today. Which would you prefer? And I want to emphasize that question at the end, which would you prefer? Because what we do with that is we give the prospect control, right? We let them have the driver's seat and basically they get to dictate the direction of the call, which typically doesn't happen again in most sales conversations. So what I do at that point after they give us permission to proceed with the hypothesis is number one, I do a quick business overview. And what that contains is really just some basic information. It's like, so this is the audience that you serve. This is the product you sell. My assumption of how you make money is you do X, Y, Z, Z, Y, Q, whatever it is, right? And I might even rattle off things like how many offices they have, how many employees they have, recent news as well, mergers and acquisitions, recent senior management hires, and just ask them to really quickly confirm that. Does that all sound correct to you? Yep, that's our business in a nutshell. Great. Well, based on that, in my research, I noticed, number one, you guys just acquired this company in June, right? Second thing I noticed was that you guys just hired a new CRO. And then the last thing I noticed was that you guys actually have opened up a new headquarters in Chicago, whatever it is, right? Based on that, when we typically see companies make acquisitions, from a data perspective, the first thing they get asked to do is unite the data sources, right? So that way they can start exploring the data and maybe plan for some machine learning or AI use cases, right? The second thing is when I see a new CRO get hired, typically means there's some sort of revenue goal or maybe a, a push for monetization of data, whatever it might be, right? So based on that research, my hypothesis for you guys is that your CRO perhaps has given you a new revenue target that you want to hit, which I think is about increasing revenue by 17% in the next 12 months. Second thing I think you're being asked to do is actually create some new data monetization products. So finding new ways to monetize your data. And then I'll pause and say, how accurate or inaccurate are we with this hypothesis? And what typically happens is they will talk for three to seven minutes and they will just unload everything. And sellers, don't be afraid if you're completely wrong because that's great if you are because they're going to correct you and then you're going to get the number one thing that they're working on for the next 12 months. So that's typically what it looks like. That's typically how it goes. So let's say your hypothesis of being asked to do 17% more revenue quarter over quarter is incorrect. Instead, what they're being pressed to do is maybe make their sales team more efficient or something else like that. Where do you take it from there? In other words, how do you take them from your diagnosis to their diagnosis? And then how do you go from their diagnosis to how you can help? So I think the first thing that I want to understand is what's their plan to get that done? right? So if they say, you know what? No, that's totally wrong. We're actually trying to increase the efficiency of our sales team, whatever it is. Great. What's your plan or what have you tried so far to get that done? And the reason I'm asking for this is because I want to understand their vision of solving the problem. Because if their vision of solving the problem aligns with my vision of solving the problem or what I think they should do to solve that problem, I know it's going to be a much easier sell, so to speak, or there's less of an uphill battle there. Whereas if they tell me something completely different than what I was going to say or my vision of how to solve that problem, then I know I'm going to have to do some more digging, learn more, and it might be more of an uphill battle. So I think that's the first thing I, I do is understand, okay, what exactly do you see as the best way to get to that outcome, right? 
what have you tried so far? And sometimes even if they say, no, that's incorrect, which I've never get, gotten left with such little context, I would just say, great, what are you being asked to do then? But making sure that I ask questions that are starting with how or what, just so they're more open-ended as well. What you're selling is relatively sophisticated. It's not like Armand going to the local farm and haggling over the cost of a goat. You're selling something that like, there's a ton of, of implications and stakeholders. And my, my assumption is a lot of customization and sophistication. And you're not going to like get everything in a 30-minute introductory call. How deep are you going into their problems on a discovery call versus pitching data bricks versus talking about the evaluation path of like, hey, here's a mutual action plan of like how folks typically evaluate that? What's sort of your game plan for that back half 15 minutes of your disco call? So my initial disco calls, I don't talk about Databricks at all. I try to talk about 0% of my product or service. I don't think it's, it's relevant on the first call. The first call should be completely about them. I actually try to stick more to the outcomes. What are the outcomes that you are trying to produce? Once we get clarity on that, then I will funnel into what's stopping you guys from getting there. What's hard about that? What is the issue? What's, what's going to be the reason that you can't make that happen on your own in 12 months, right? Why do you even need us going back to having the prospect convince us? Because people are more reluctant to talk about their problems or issues. But if you ask someone about their dreams, ooh, now we're getting into, you know, the positive aspirational things. And I think dreams are more compelling, right? Arguably. Of course, there's the whole concept of loss aversion. But if I can get them to tell me what are the target outcomes, especially I'll even ask, let's say if it's a VP or not a C-level, I'll say, what are the top outcomes that, you know, the CEO is asking for, the board is asking for, things like that. So I actually try to center on those things first, and then we'll dig into, okay, what are the problems? But in terms of data bricks and all that, I usually save that for the second call because I want to get extra clear on, again, what are the outcomes and then the problems with those. So that way in the next call, we can position, okay, based on what you share with us, here's how we think we might be able to fit in or not, right? So to make this super real, this happens to us all the time at 30MPC, Danilo, where we'll start by asking, what are your goals for the marketing organization? What are your ARR goals? And that's usually the North Star thing that they'd like to accomplish. And nowadays, in this type of economic environment, it's do more with less, generate more pipeline with fewer marketing dollars, right? And that's usually their goal. But then every once in a while, we'll ask, what's stopping you from getting there? What's the gap that's blocking you from getting there? And the gaps aren't things that we can solve. For example, they might say something like, oh man, if I could just do more in-person events with sales leaders, we would be able to solve this problem today. And that's not something that we do at 30MPC. We don't do in-person events yet, right? So when someone says that the goal is something that you can solve for, but what's stopping them is not what you can solve for, how do you start to weave them into the zone? So one thing I want to make clear is in the hypothesis, I'm only hypothesizing outcomes that we can help with directly. So first things first is you got to be really good in terms of understanding the outcomes that you provide for your clients. So if you're a newer rep, read your case studies, understand what are the top outcomes you're producing, right? For Databricks and the things that we're doing in the data and AI space, it's helping people get to predictive analytics. So basically helping businesses make predictions. Hospitals want to predict who's going to get sick before it happens. The bank wants to predict who's going to create fraud before it happens or pay their bill on time, whatever it is, right? Every industry has their use case. And then maybe they want to get governance in place or avoid any risk with data breaches, things like that. So 
first things first, I'm making sure that all the things that I talk about are things that we can do. And then, you know, being in the with Databricks for a while now, I have a little bit of advantage of repetition with this. So a lot of the times I just see the same outcomes being repeated. For example, that's why I'm really keen to understand if there's M&A activity, because I know in 99% of cases, they're being asked to unify their data sets. That's an outcome that we literally produce all the time, giving them one place to put all their data. I think starting with number one, just understanding your product and the outcomes that you create is number one. But then you want to look for specific things and trigger events that you know lead to them needing to have an outcome that you directly solve. And I think the best example, again, is for at Databricks is like MA. Whenever I see that, I jump all over it because I'm like, they probably need to unite their data sets. The other thing, too, is I'm going to look for key hires and data, right? I'm going to look at job descriptions and see, is Databricks a skill that they're looking for, right? And based on that, you know, if I'm looking for the right things, I know what I'm looking for in terms of those trigger events. It's pretty easy from there to make the hypothesis because here's the thing, sellers, I want you to be clear that this doesn't have to be rocket science. This can be a little fluffy. This can be a little bit big picture and let them fill in the details, so if it's me just showing up saying, yeah, I believe you're being asked to unify your data sets. I believe you're being asked to make predictions about this use case. And I believe you're being asked to do this. Like, that's fine as well. But the main thing here is know what outcomes you create, hypothesize outcomes that you can actually influence. Because if you don't, it kind of defeats the purpose of having a hypothesis. This is brilliant what you have here. And it reminds me a lot of what Jake Dunlap talked about on one of his early episodes with 30MPC, which is the way he starts it is he starts a discovery call by finding the business level goals, the board level goals, the ARR miss, the cost miss, the M&A activity, right? But then he goes from business goals to primed goals. In other words, the primed goals are the goals that are within the boundaries where you can help someone. So in your example, you might start with looking into their M&A activity and you might try to understand their M&A goals. But to your point, there are a million things that could go wrong in M&A, and you don't want to send them down the path of what's blocking us is financial underwriting. So what you're doing is you're finding, hey, you're active in M&A, and then you're priming them with common obstacles that you can solve for that come up when M&A happens. So you say, typically when someone's going through M&A, the problems that we can oftentimes help with are A, B, and C. So you're essentially taking that big motivation, but then you're slotting in the specific outcomes that you can support to help that big picture. So I want to continue to follow this thread. Let's say that we're talking about this M&A activity, for example, and Databricks is helping with A, B, and C, right? And they continue to say like, yeah, all those are sort of blockers. Yeah, I mean, uh, we're going to have to deal with that stuff. But they're like not giving you anything. It seems like they're focused on other blockers as it pertains to M&A that you can't solve. And sometimes I'm like, well, why'd you jump on this call? Like, You clearly jumped on a call. You know what we do. It sounds like you want to increase revenue. It's either an awareness thing or a demand gen thing. And sometimes we're just like, yeah, we, we'd like to get some more. And I'm not getting the level of problems that I would want. Is it at this point that you start to push away? Do you just keep suggesting more and more problems? Do you pivot to a different problem? What do I do when I'm not getting the juice for the squeeze on my discovery questions? If I'm not getting what I need or I feel like the prospect is very reluctant to share information, whatever it might be, I'll call it out directly and I'll say, hey, I'm getting the sense that either you're not comfortable sharing kind of the outcomes that you're looking for here 
Or number two, we're completely off and there's actually not a fit here. Am I completely off or do you agree in this case? And I've done that before several times in the past. And it actually creates a great moment potentially because it gives the prospect an option to either agree with you and say, yeah, you know what? I feel like there's no fit here or B, yeah, I'm just a little reluctant. And then they'll open up maybe about why, because we just got this new legal person. They're telling us to really cool it with the vendor conversations or whatever it might be. And then from there, once we know what's really behind the anxiety that they're having, we can maybe find another route to understand what their problems are or understand what it might be that's holding them back and let them talk from there. This is one of those amazing places that you can really use the humbling disclaimer and almost throw yourself under the bus and put it on yourself. Say, ah, oh, God, I feel really bad. I, I feel like I, I might have said something that, that set you off or I feel like I might have made you uncomfortable with some of the questions I ask. Like, I feel almost embarrassed or I feel a little bit silly. And when you like when you throw yourself under the bus like that, because most salespeople are all bravado and beat their chest and they think they're like the best in the world. And when you're like, oh, gosh, I feel like I must have screwed something up. I'm, I'm getting the sense I might be like, overstepping my boundaries with some of the questions I'm asking. Am I totally off with that? They're going to be like, no, 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 you're good. It's, it's actually this new legal person. And you totally clear the air and you're in a way better spot because you've leveled with the prospect. And the last thing I want to ask you is sort of about that leveling with the prospect, because you talked about how you'll push prospects away. You'll say, I'm just, I'm not seeing the use case or we might not be a fit or maybe you should go instead of with data bricks, go with data cement or data sand or whatever competitors you guys have. Like, can you talk to me about how you articulate that? Because I have to imagine your tone there is really important. You can't just be like, yeah, we're not a fit. See you later. And then hope they're going to save the deal for you. No, not at all. So I think it's two things. It's not only tone, but I think it's context. And what I like to use is what I've coined my own phrase, if you will, but I call it the market approach technique. So what I'll say is this, if I'm getting the sense they're not a good fit, this is literally what I say on the calls. So Mr. And Mrs. Prospect, there's typically two approaches that we see in the market when it comes to selecting a data platform. What we typically see is number one, the best of breed approach. What this means is smaller, less mature companies that don't have necessarily the most sophisticated data scientists or they can't afford a team of data engineers, they will literally pick the point solutions for their data platform and pick whatever platform does the best for that specific function, whatever is the best for ETL, whatever is best for data science, et cetera, et cetera. The second approach is for companies that are usually a little bit larger, a little bit more sophisticated, and they've had a longstanding data team that is more tenured and they have a higher data maturity. They already have governance in place. Maybe they've already got some use cases in production, whatever. And those organizations we're seeing, they like to have a data platform that does everything. And then I'll put it on them and I'll say, I get the sense that you guys are either one or two, whatever it is. But then I ask them to confirm, which one do you feel like is you or best describes your organization? And that answer they give me is going to allow them to either disqualify themselves because Personally, I'm not interested in speaking with folks that have the, the number one identification. If they're best of breed, maybe we can plug into one area. But for me as a seller, I'm looking for organizations that are trying to increase their maturity or are already mature and want that whole platform approach. So that's literally what I say on the call. And that allows, again, the prospect to be in the driver's seat to understand not only a new piece of information that they're getting from me in terms of market insight, but now they get to identify and say, hmm, how mature are we? Are we one or two? 
And maybe I can even help them make that justification. But that's literally what I say. That's how I go about it. Oh, my heart's breaking because we're running out of time here. And so we got to move to the final question. And the final question is this. We've talked about a lot of really great things salespeople should be doing. And now I got to ask you about a shouldn't. And so the final question is, what is one bad habit you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that you think they need to break because it hurts them more than it helps? I'm going to go back to something I said earlier in here, but like, stop talking about the weather. The second that you ask me, how's the weather, or you start commenting on how the weather is there, you are subconsciously priming my brain to assume that you are like every other seller. I'm immediately turned off and I'm assuming that you're an uninteresting person. Stop doing that. Find something else to talk about. You're going to create a new way that you're perceived and you're not going to turn people off when you immediately just talk about the weather. So please, please. And that goes for sales leaders as well. When you're on internal calls, stop talking about the weather. We all have weather on our phones. We know what it's like where you're at. I love it. It's 72 and sunny in LA today, for those who are wondering. Thanks for joining us. Everybody stick around for a 60-second recap coming up soon. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Super Cadence by Influ2, which helps cut through the noise of oversaturated prospecting channels. If you want to get your prospect's attention, you got to do stuff a robot would never do. One of my favorite plays is getting warm introductions to the accounts that I'm targeting via salespeople who work at that account. Salespeople help salespeople. Another approach could be using Super Cadence to run SDR ads to put a face to the name. Now, we worked with Influ2 to put together a special toolkit on ways to humanize your outreach, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Your Zoom Info actionable insight tactic is called Jane's Moving Up. Why? Because that's the email subject line you'll use when you get a real-time notice that your prospect Jane just got promoted. From there in the email, explain how Zoom Info helps rising sales leaders win their first 90 days on the job by highlighting coaching opportunities or supporting a team-wide prospecting push. And you can try out this trigger-based email template for prospect promotion and four other scenarios inspired by Zoom Info's go-to-market plays. Link in the show notes. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto reminders for everything. If I expect any reply from a prospect, I press command H and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox. If I don't get a reply in two days, that means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time, every time you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. Your top four takeaways from this episode with Danilo Caprick include number one, there are five ways to research a prospect. Number one, LinkedIn. Number two, Google search. Number three, podcast appearances on listennotes.com. Number four, social channels. And number five, if you're prospecting to a PhD, Google their name plus dissertation. Number two, use that research that you find in the first two minutes of the call to get someone to sit up. Number three, Then start probing for their big business goals, but then raise the problems and outcomes that you can help solve to narrow them into your winning zone for your solution. And lastly, number four, bucket your buyers with the market approach technique. 
Danilo said you're either a team that's lean and putting together the best in breed point solutions to cover your gaps, or you're a mature team that might want the all-in-one, more stable, more enterprise-grade solution. Which are you? Alrighty, Nick, how can people help us out? Stop listening, pick up your phones, grab your computer mouse, and go to the show notes of this episode because if you've not yet stolen Danilo's wonderful documentation of tearing down these accounts, you will get some value from it. I promise from the bottom of my heart. Go check it out. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week on 30MPC. Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you want to save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent. It'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with Demandbase, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Super Cadence by Influ2, which helps cut through the noise of oversaturated prospecting channels. If you want to get your prospect's attention, you got to do stuff a robot would never do. One of my favorite plays is getting warm introductions to the accounts that I'm targeting via salespeople who work at that account. Salespeople help salespeople. Another approach could be using Super Cadence to run SDR ads to put a face to the name. Now, we worked with Influ2 to put together a special toolkit on ways to humanize your outreach, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes notes.